Welcome to the Happy Homeschooler Podcast, a digital support group for everyone interested in a learning lifestyle. I'm your host, Holly. I'm your co-host, Melody. Well, today we're going to be talking about developing an educational philosophy and developing yourself as a home educator. But before we get into that, Melody, what's been going on with you lately? Oh, well, you never believe what we've been doing, or you might believe it. I don't know if you'll guess. We... <laughs> A couple of weeks ago when it might have been longer ago when everything the weather was so crazy we were all hunkered down you know we started watching a marathon of Downton Abbey oh and so we have finally we just finished up watching our way through one or two usually an episode every night or so for all six seasons and it was so much fun because you know that's six years I think mm-hmm. that they would be that it was on and so the actors got older and there was character development and changes, and it was fun. It was a really fun way to walk through. We'd like to watch that movie now again, but that's what we've been doing for the last uh, however long, a couple of months now. Yeah, yeah, it feels like mm-hmm. that. It was fun. That freeze was just yesterday, but it was in the latter part of February. Oh, well. <laughs> <laughs> Which, okay, it took us longer than that. I, I just can't believe that it's May already. I, I mean... Almost half a year of 2021 has gone by. It's amazing. It's mind-boggling. So, um, yeah, that's fun. I think last year I started watching different um, series, you know, to kind of give myself a distraction from the coronavirus and the lockdown. And I watched the whole Downton Abbey series, but nobody in my house watched it with me. I just had to enjoy it all on my own. Oh, it so, was fun. By the end, my uh, oldest son would wander in and catch, because it's so well written. Oh, and yeah. Appreciate the dialogue. And, and so my daughter kept telling him, you really just need to sit down and watch it from the beginning. And so he might, but um, but it was, it was a fun, it was a fun way to pass the time. And like you said, yeah. something that didn't require a lot of uh, concentration. <laughs> right. I remember when Something you and I used to watch, um, we would watch that together in our separate homes and text yes, each other. We or, or we would watch Victoria. Um, yeah. And that's fun, too. I, I watch different things with my kids um, that are here or not here. Um, my daughter and I have been watching um, WandaVision, which we still have yet to finish. And my son and I have been watching The Mandalorian. Um, oh, we did that one too. Yeah, it's hard for me to find time to watch TV. I've been really busy um, t- helping take care of my husband who had um, a foot surgery and um, he's recovering nicely from it, but he's needed a lot of care. And so I've had to add wound dressing to my repertoire, mm-hmm. which I, I don't really enjoy, but he's doing well and uh, making a good recovery. And looking forward to finishing up school, we just started our 31st week of our 36-week school year. So the end is in sight, and both my son and I are really excited about it. So exciting. Yeah. It's funny how the end of the year, it feels like, you know, what was it, frog or toad? Say, can it be May so soon? Like, here we are already at the end, and then there are twice as many things to do in May as there are in any other month of the school year. The thing um, that I was thinking is a lot of people got into homeschooling in the past year um, due to COVID. And a lot of people got into homeschooling for other reasons, like as a reaction to something. Um, Very few of us, I think, actually start out with the idea that 
we're going to be home educators. And we don't think of ourselves as teachers. We think of ourselves as, you know, just parents who are teaching our kids. Sometimes I think, you know, we're just fumbling around with curriculum and doing the best we can and trying to plan a good school day, but we don't have some of the tools or uh, we haven't done some of the work that a teacher, say in a public or private school, would have done in the course of their education to become a teacher. And I think that's important for homeschoolers to do for themselves. Well, it does make your job easier as you're going along. And I know, like you mentioned, some of us start as a reaction to something. And I came to homeschooling from, I was a classroom teacher before I was a mom. And so part of the reason, I've mentioned that before, part of the reason that we chose to homeschool our own children was because of things that I saw in the classroom. And just in the way that the system is set up in order to function were not the kinds of things that I wanted for my own kids. And so there was that little bit of that reaction to something else. But I think that we mostly start off teaching in the way that we were taught. And we just jump in and get going because we've got a job to do. And like our friend gave us curriculum or we went to a book fair and this looks good. And it isn't until we really start living with that curriculum day in and day out that we recognize whether or not it really fits what we think about how children should learn. Mm-hmm. And we, I think that a lot of us don't feel like we're teachers, but you know, from the time that we have our first child, we're developing ideas of how we want to teach our child, how we want to interact with them and with discipline, how we want to teach them to, uh, you know, when you're toilet training, how you want to teach them to eat nicely. We mm -hmm. already have some of these ideas, but as parents, I think we discount ourselves. We're like, oh, you know, I'm just homeschooling my kids. But really, if you're in it um, as I am, as I have been for the long haul, and if you're in it for any length of time, it's important to view yourself as an educator. Not so you can, you know, ring a bell and put red X's on people's papers or any of those things that you experienced when you were in school from your teachers. But because if you have developed yourself and you have gotten more skills, you'll be more confident when you're teaching your child. And it'll help you when you start looking for materials because we all know what we don't like. Oh, I don't like I used to Becca mm -hmm. when I got started and I didn't like busy work. I thought it was silly to do a worksheet on how to address an envelope or how to write a letter. And I thought, you know, it, wouldn't it just be better to actually write a letter to grandma and address the envelope? Um, and so I began to have strong feelings about certain things and how I wanted them to be taught. Um, and so that was part of my development as a home educator and part of my developing philosophy of the way I thought that my children should be taught. Well, exactly. Well, because, you know, you're learning a new skill, like you mentioned that. And any time for any career that people are in, they have continuing education or they go to staff development days or they go to special trainings or new, they learn new techniques. And we can do that as parents, too. And I know that um, that was one of the ways that the book fairs were so helpful to me because I could go and go to a workshop about, you know, how to become a better math teacher or learn new skills for teaching reading and things like that. So 
You're right. We need to realize that we are educators and work on developing all those different skills that educators need. Yeah, and I, th I just think that not enough attention is given to that. Um, there are lots of companies out there that are happy to sell you curriculum. Um, and, you know, that curriculum may or may not fit with your ideas of how you would like to teach your child. And so I think it's really important for homeschoolers to develop that part of their their um, toolkit. Right. Well, I know one of the things that we can do is, uh, as we're looking at curriculum, be sure to look on the websites or talk to the people wherever you're getting your materials. Because often they'll post what their philosophy is, like the the foundational ideas that they have that their curriculum grew out of. And if you take the time to read all of those things, you start to get a feel for what's what curriculum choices are going to be a better fit for what you think about learning. That's true. And oftentimes the ideas that they had in developing their curriculum are um, educational philosophies that are fairly common. So we've talked in the past about uh, educational approaches, but um, a deeper dive into that would be educational philosophies. And most of us have heard something like Montessori school or Waldorf school, or you've heard of um, a classical school. Mm -hmm. And those are, you know, educational philosophies. They're uh, unschooling is an educational philosophy and an approach. So when you're looking at philosophies, there are certain principles that apply, and you can use those philosophies to help you choose your curriculum. So, for example, um, everybody probably who's been listening knows I'm a Charlotte Mason devotee. And Charlotte Mason, one of the core things is short lessons. And so when I'm looking for curriculum, um, where I need curriculum, I'm looking for something that I can do in a 20 or 30 minute amount of time with my child, uh, which is why I like the Matthew C curriculum. It doesn't have just a huge uh, pay number of math problems and it's hands-on. It gives the child an opportunity to interact with the materials. And that's why I've chosen that because I know what my educational philosophy is. Um, and Charlotte Mason dovetailed a lot with my educational philosophy. I don't do everything in the way that Charlotte Mason has laid it out in her book series. She has a six volume book series about education. Um, but I use the principles of the Charlotte Mason education whenever I'm choosing materials. So we don't choose books that are, um, we don't use very many textbooks at all because we want books that are go into depth and they're written by someone who's passionate about their topic. Mm -hmm. And so when you learn your educational philosophy, that will help you to be able to weed through that curriculum very easily. And it will help you save your precious homeschooling budget dollars. Um, so some of the popular philosophies, um, like again, we said Montessori, uh, Maria Montessori was the developer of that. And you can find all kinds of books and online resources to learn about Montessori. Another one would be classical, which focuses on like the great ideas. And they want you to go and look at source materials and look at the backstory behind how the ideas developed um, through time mm -hmm. to the ideas, the founding fathers and 
how how the world got to where it is today. So that's there's definitely a lot of materials out there that follow a a, a chronological approach, walk through history chronologically, and then you branch off that timeline to look at famous scientists or famous uh, mathematicians or whatever. And so that's another very um, academic approach. Yes. And one of the people who's written a really definitive volume on the classical approach is Susan Weisbauer. Um, her book is called The Well-Trained Mind, and mm-hmm. it's very comprehensive. I remember reading it, um, and I found it very interesting, and I knew that's not what I wanted to do. And she talks about the stages um, that children go through in their mental development, the grammar stage, the logic stage, and the rhetoric stage. Mm-hmm. And those are three stages that kids go through. Um, right. And it helps. It's a, it's part of their brain development. There are other ones, like the whole Great Books video course. Oh, yeah. kind of like that. And, and you know what? They have a really cool thing now, which is a subscription. Um, you can get a subscription and an online subscription and they have different levels and you can watch so many different courses. It's really amazing. They've expanded quite a bit. So much out there, so mm-hmm. much more than when they first started. But there are a lot of curriculum that would fall in that category. Mm-hmm. And there's like world world views of the Western world is out there. And, right. But we're not um, talking about curriculum right now. <laughs> no, we're, we're talking. Not. Yeah, we're talking about educational philosophy. So classical approach is an educational philosophy. Once you learn about that, you know, then you can you can find the materials that will support that path for you. Um, another one with which I'm not that familiar is Waldorf. Um, mm-hmm. And Waldorf is very uh, low-tech, anti-tech in the early years. It's got kids doing a lot of things with their hands. They, everybody I know who's ever gone to a Waldorf school or, or teaches Waldorf, the kids know how to like knit or crochet. And they don't really watch TV much. And um, they There's are... They, real- there's a real focus on developing the individual. Yes. Mm-hmm. And then we have, of course, Charlotte Mason. Um, and that's a certain philosophy of education. There are many, many materials you can find um, to study about Charlotte Mason education. Karen Andriola has uh, written something. There's a, a woman named um, Catherine Levison who's written quite a bit. Charlotte Mason has her original series, and that's a certain educational philosophy that says that children are born persons, and they are capable of understanding a lot more than we think. Um, so you don't dumb things down for kids uh, when you're doing Charlotte Mason. I mean, we, my son and I are reading a lot of really meaty types of things, and it's interesting to see what he takes away from it, because I don't tend to interpret it for him unless he asks for some explanation. But once you learn what the principles of the Charlotte Mason method are, again, it will help you to choose your uh, materials. And then we have um, Raymond and Dorothy Moore. Their philosophy of education is that you don't need to rush into educating your child. So it'd be the opposite of like Head Start where kids are in school at three and four. Mm -hmm. Uh, Raymond and Dorothy Moore's premise is you know, let them be kids and, and give them lots of acts, um, activities and experiences. And, you know, when they're a little older, eight or nine, you can start teaching them to read and write. Uh, but there's no hurry because they'll catch up very quickly. And then we have the um, one of the gurus of home education, and that's John Holt. 
And he was, I don't know what we would call his philosophy, but he was a public school teacher and he had very, um, he had very strong ideas about how children should be educated. Uh, and he had a belief that every child could learn. And a lot of homeschool families use his book as a spine for their educational choices. So those are some of the basic ones. Um, and then there's unschooling. Oh, and del delightful well, and learning. Right. right. And then don't forget to mention just your basic traditional approach that, you know, back right. to the basics, essential knowledge. Let's teach all the things that are the, the things that everybody must know. I mean, that definitely is an approach. Becca, I would say, kind of falls into that mm -hmm. category because mm -hmm. there's like here are the basic things that everybody needs to know. And they right. set out to teach them in a real systematic fashion. That's true. Yes. And I probably didn't mention that because. I just didn't, that didn't gel with me. It didn't. <laughs> so I, I don't even think about it, but you know, it's a good, it is a good approach for many, many people. Right. Um, well, it was developed for classroom use. So that's why there are all those extra worksheets. Like if you're at home, you can just sit down and write a letter, but in the classroom, like I remember doing that when I was in school, we, mm -hmm. except that we wrote a letter to someone. Right. It's basically the same things. Like you're making sure that children have those skills. So a real skill-based, um, fact-based method. Mm -hmm. um, my approach tended to be a little bit more eclectic because I just took the parts of all of those things that you've mentioned and we kind of pulled them all together into a philosophy, which I guess if I had to explain it would be real learning in the real world. I was really mm -hmm. big on let's, like you said, write a letter. And what was so great about that was like people wrote back. And so that was really Great, when a great aunt or someone would respond to a letter that my kids had written to them. But we did. We were just like, we learned by doing. But I also wanted them to be exposed to the great big ideas of the world. And we read all kinds of excellent literature. And we learned how to talk to people and find out, you know, why they did what they did or how they learned what they knew. And it was just the sort of thing that over time... Over time, I, it all distilled into, you know, learn how to learn, learn how to think, learn right. how to work, all those things that were the guiding umbrella for the choices that I made as I was looking at curriculum. Yeah, it doesn't, it does certainly doesn't happen overnight, um, developing yourself as a home educator, um, because it, at the beginning, you're just experiencing curriculum and you're experiencing teaching your children and in the back of your mind is growing some things like, hey, I need this skill. I'm not so good at this. And you go and find that skill. Or, hey, I don't like the way this is teaching this. This is what I like better. You know, and, and it all starts to become, you start developing yourself to be able to do the things the way you want to do them with your children. And you start developing strong ideas about how, um, you know, what kind of things you want that will help you to do that. So I, um, I think that we'll go ahead and take our break. And when we come back, we'll talk about the ways that we can grow as home educators. Our podcast today is sponsored by Transcript Maker. It's an online service that allows you to create professional high school transcripts in the comfort of your own home. And today we've been talking about our educational philosophy. Holly, how would you say Transcript Maker ties into that? Well, I have an educational philosophy that says I'm not going to be using Excel. 
<laughs> right. Right. That's why we like transcript makers so much because you don't have to deal with the headache of getting all the numbers pulled together and putting them all in a spreadsheet. Transcript maker calculates all that for you. You can get a free 14 day trial to see how you like it before you sign up. Yeah. Go to www.transcriptmaker.com for that free trial. Right. And we also have a discount code if you would like 20% off of your subscription. That is HAPPY, H-A-P-P-Y, in all caps. And you know what's really great about Transcript Maker? They're not one of those companies who makes you put your payment information in to get the free trial. It's actually absolutely free. Transcript Maker is just a great team of people. Transcript Maker, simply better transcripts. In the first half, we talked about uh, developing yourself as a home educator and educational philosophies. And now we're gonna talk more about ways to grow as a home educator. So Melody, what are some of the things that you have done or you would recommend for people to help them to grow as a home educator? Well, I think in the first half I did mention going to book fairs or seminars, or I mean, if you don't actually have to get out and go, if there isn't anything available near you, there are things online, some of the workshops and a lot of the Curriculum providers will host a workshop on different aspects of their curriculum because they want you to know what they're about, and it's worth the time. I know as parents, we are busy, and we can't, we don't think we can fit one more thing into our day, but it is worth the time to invest that time in your own development as a teacher to listen to those or to take notes or just, you know, you can listen to a podcast when you're driving to the store or wherever. Just mm -hmm. to have those ideas to think about and to listen to someone else's experience or their thoughts on something or um, maybe they'll share a story and something in there will resonate with you and help you find your way along your, you know, developing your philosophy. But I found it really helpful to go to seminars. I, re I recently listened to some professional development on teaching reading, and I'm not even teaching anybody to read right now, but it's one of those things that was fascinating to find out what the latest research was showing, and it was actually really exciting because it was like, oh, that's the way I was doing it. <laughs> it's like, oh, it's a nice validation. So, <laughs> so it was. It's like because intuitively working with children, I knew what was working. It was nice to find out that someone somewhere had done research that validated all that practical experience that I had with my own children and, you know, with the other kiddos that I've been tutoring. But I think one of the really important things is to, you know, seek out some information, uh, read books at half price books. Every now and then I'll pick up something, you know, a collection of math lessons or uh, big ideas for growing mathematicians or just those books that are all about um, how to put theory into practical use. And it's interesting to find out. It seems to always come back, really, to real life, real real learning, like real things that happen in real life. Like you mentioned before, write the letters, bake the muffins, do the measuring, do the mm -hmm. do the actual activities. But um, as far as development, that is that's one of the things to do because in the beginning, you need more. Um, what am I trying to say? More guidelines. Like I had, one of my daughters is an artist, and we were talking the other day. Is in the process when she was first beginning, she used a lot more guidelines for her drawings. Like starting out with guidelines for 
proportions for the face or things like that. But the longer you do it, the less you need those kind of things. Right. And so you in the beginning, yes. And in the beginning, what, you just need those extra um, supports to guide yeah. you. And and then as you as you listen, and um, I know for myself when I would maybe go to a workshop or I would. Uh, listen to a lecture online or read something and and it was something I'd already intuitively been doing it increased my confidence that I had good ideas and that I was thinking like an educator um, that I was you know that I had a systematic approach or or some kind of um, a philosophy which it's interesting because it's really kind of hard to split apart some of the developing as a home educator and educational philosophies because as we grow and learn more say perhaps how to teach reading or how to teach math or ways to teach science um, those are skills that we develop as an educator but along the way they also help us de to develop a philosophy so one of the philosophies i've had for a long time even before i started homeschooling my children was that abridged books were just i don't see the purpose of them at all and i've never read abridged books to my children because i don't think that children today are any less intelligent than the children of the 1800s when some of the the most wonderful classic literature was written so I had a, a philosophy a long time before I started homeschooling about what kind of literature I wanted to read to my children. And then when I read that same philosophy in Charlotte Mason's works or in The Well-Trained Mind or some other um, educational literature, it cemented me in my mind that I had good instincts as an educator and it gave me more confidence. So oh, I agree, yeah. especially because when they abridge the book, they pull out some of the most wonderful language and the most wonderful little incidences in the story, and then you're just left with the bare bones. Right. A few years ago, my son and I read a book called The Little Duke, and in The Little Duke, um, when someone was hungry, they would say, I'm hungered. And for the longest time, that's what my son would say to me when he wanted something to eat. He'd say, Mom, I'm hungered. <laughs> and he gradually stopped saying that. And we, we actually spoke about it the other day. And he said, do you remember when I used to say that? And I said, yeah, I thought that was really cute. Um, but if we had just read a book that said, I want to eat, he wouldn't have been exposed to this other idea. Um, and, you know, being exposed to other ideas that are a little higher than the level on which you operate are what helps us to grow. And we want to help our students grow. We want to help our, to eliminate topics for our students. And so we, in order to do that, we need to have more learning. Um, a number of years ago, I used to write an occasional column for um, Texas Homeschool Coalition's teacher magazine, which I think is now called The Home Educator, but it was the review at the time. And one of the articles I wrote was uh, called Summer School for Parents. And it was all about developing yourself during the summer when you don't have to actively teach your kids like to study art or to work on your own foreign language that you might want to teach your child or to um, study more music so that you had in you a reservoir that you could pour out to your child. And that's what educating yourself is all about. So you have something to pull out and give to your child. 
Oh, that's a wonderful idea. And, you know, we have a little downtime in the summer usually because even if we're used, even if we're schooling year round, summer is lighter. Mm-hmm. And so that's that's a great. It's also that's when I would read like the books that I would collect or the things that would be recommended. That would be the time I would have to read those things mm-hmm. or even uh, to do like a, as a teacher, you are also you are also the parents. So you have that hat as well. Mm hmm. To find out better ways to work together with your children or communication, I guess, is mm-hmm. one of the things. Like, it's a good time to work on communication skills so that you understand what what they're trying to express to you if they're having trouble with something. Or right. just and ways to make everything be more pleasant. Right. And educators um, who are going to college, um, correct me if I'm wrong, but don't you learn about child development mm-hmm. so that you understand what kids are capable of and what emotional capacity they have at certain ages. Um, and, you know, right. those things are things that we would all do well to spend time on because, again, that's developing us. It's going to make us better parents. It's going to make us teach our children better. And most parents, uh, most homeschoolers, they get involved at some point in a co-op where they're teaching other people's children so if we're going to be on this journey of home education, it really behooves us to study and be as um, as serious about it as we would if we were studying for the bar exam or if we were going to become a nutritionist or any other discipline. Um, it's only going to improve things for us and for our students. And, uh, you know, again, along the way, you're going to be learning from a lot of this reading that you're doing. You're going to be learning about these um, educational philosophies. And you might find one that fits you to a T. Or as you did, you might weave several together to come to a hybrid. Uh, But it's going to be a delightful journey, I think. At least I've enjoyed it. And I still read educational materials. And I've got sitting in front of me about 10 books on Charlotte Mason education and um you know i just can't get enough of it because i think it's really awesome but i also have the well-trained mind and i have teacher owned by john yes you know Um, my pile is starting to kind of slide i'm gonna have to put some of them back on the shelf or they want (laughs) this you know i just keep dipping in to different ones and every summer i do set forth like this around read you know these certain books and inevitably they I get started on some and then some like a need arises for me to do a quick research in some other area and Mm -hmm. so I mean we're learning all the time too just like our children yes it might be fun if we share what we're reading you know over the next few months with our listeners Um, they might find that really amusing that could be fun but I also want to mention that being uh, Always, what am I trying to say? At continuing your own education, that sets a really good model for your children when they see you reading for pleasure or reading for information or doing mm-hmm. some research on your own or taking notes for yourself. Like, we're taking notes, but we don't have to write a paper and turn it in for homework. It's right. because it's the part of the process of learning, and that's why you want to be able to, to take notes and to right. write your thoughts, communicate them. And so part of that learning on your own is teaching your children. I mean, it's just good modeling. It is. It really is. At this time in our podcast, we usually answer a big question. And today it's 
not so much a big question, but it was an interesting topic that came up uh, in a homeschool group that I'm on on Facebook. Um, a parent was asking for tips about helping her child who's pressing really hard when writing. And that, you know, I think a lot of us run into that. Um, Melody, do you have any experience with that happening when your kids were in school? Uh, not my own kids, probably because I was watching for it at the beginning, because I know that when a child is gripping the pencil so hard that it makes their arm tired, or if they're pressing so hard that the pages underneath have the dents from, you know, the top page, that over time that just sets them up for such stress in writing because everything, they're working so hard and it needs to be easier. So I was watching for that. But I know that in the classroom I had children that were uh, so tense or they were just working so hard and mashing, you know, they would break the pencil lids and... Um, there were several things that we would do among those was like, first of all, watch out for the pencil grip to be just to watch out that they weren't, you know, doing like a, oh, what did we call it? Like the caveman hold on the pencil, but that oh, they yeah. were actually, you know, pinching the pencil and moving their arm around. And we would, you know, do some exercises to shake their arms around and, and limber up. But I know there were some really good ideas on that thread that you should mention. Mm-hmm. Well, one of them, um, which I thought was really helpful, and I probably could have used this help when my kids were younger. I had some that were real tight pencil grippers, was uh, to let your child write on carbon paper. Oh, they So the child that. has to write softly so the marks barely go through the paper. Um, That's a good idea. Yeah. What's, what's one that you... Um, well, one thing we did was that I would let them I would let them use felt tip markers because it doesn't take a lot of pressure to get a big result. Mm -hmm. And of course, we had to have chats. I mean, I didn't want the markers to be mashed into smithereens, and right. so they learned to do like a light grip on that because they got a lot of bang for their buck with the markers. But we also just did some like we worked with Play-Doh and clay and mm -hmm. other fine motor to develop those fine motor muscle abilities for them. Mm -hmm. um, I know that some kids are not getting the feedback from the, you know, I had one child, this is a little bit different, but didn't like the way the pencil felt scratching on the paper. Mm -hmm. So there was a sensory aspect to that. And so for him, he wrote very lightly but I think there's an element of that there, too, for the children who are pressing down so hard. They're not getting feedback that they need. Um, and another interesting um, comment that was made on this thread was that um, someone else's occupational therapist was telling her that uh, her son should wear a weighted vest or put a weighted blanket. And the reason is that it's a... Um, occupational therapy technique called deep touch pressure therapy that can increase the release of serotonin in the brain. Um, this lady said her son's ADHD and he needs more sensory input. And we, we do have a learning challenges series um, that we're going to be expanding on. And so um, ADHD and anxiety, things like that can often show up in things such as how a child is writing and the pressure they're putting. So we're going to be touching more on that in future episodes in our learning challenge series. I love that idea about the weighted blanket or the vest because you don't often, that's not the first thing you think about when you're looking not at, at someone's all. handwriting. 
Right. Some other um, suggestions, quite a few of them were to have the child use a mechanical pencil because with too much pressure, the pencil will, the graphite will snap off. Mm-hmm. And it's a good way to help kids to learn to write gently. My kids loved mechanical. We called them click pencils because they click. That's what they called them. And so that was really helpful because they do just like break off if you press them too hard. They do. Well, um, we're going to have a a link in the show notes with some more ideas on how to reduce pencil pressure when writing. But that is all we have for you today. We have had such a good time talking about um, educational philosophies and developing yourself as a home educator. And we would love to hear from you. If you have homeschooling questions or comments, send us an email at happyhomeschoolpod at gmail.com. Or find us on Twitter at underscore homeschool pod. Find us on Facebook and Instagram at Happy Homeschool Pod. And look for us on YouTube at the Happy Homeschooler Podcast. Thank you for joining us today. I'm Holly. I'm Melody. Happy, Happy homeschooling. homeschooling. Hi, this is your host, Holly Williams Erbach. Thank you for listening to the Happy Homeschooler Podcast, a transcript maker production. My co-host is Melody Gillum. This episode was produced by Matthew Bass and edited by Nora Williams. Our graphic design is by Pete Soloway, and our music is by The Great Pangolin. You can find her music on YouTube and Twitter at Kylie Wins. That's K-A-I-L-E-Y Wins. If you'd like to help our podcast grow, leave us a review on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, or wherever you get your podcasts. Or as always, tell people about us. And Melody is the boss of this episode. Oh, I thought you were. Okay. No, I always, I'm the boss of this episode. <laughs>